0: Welcome to The Whole Truth, where two wholesalers help financial professionals build great practices and thrive in a rapidly changing industry. We'll bring you the stories and voices from those on the front lines of this change, and we'll have some fun along the way.
1: This is more than a podcast. We're building a community of financial professionals who are growing, forward-thinking, and want to get better. Thanks for listening and contributing to the discussion.
2: The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments.
1: And welcome everybody to the Whole Truth from the Bay
0: Area, California. I am Steve Side. And from Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Kurt Dupuy. We have a two for today. We have two great interviews, great conversations, uh, very different subjects. So we're gonna start off with a conversation with Julie Littlechild from a company called Absolute Engagement. I have been studying her work for a few months now i saw a webinar she posts blog posts nearly weekly she's pretty active on linkedin and just fantastic content around client engagement and referrals so specifically she's going to talk about the whole referral process and where a lot of financial professionals find friction and how to ease that friction and also talk about the referral gap which is the difference between the number of of your clients that are actually referring you that you don't know about and the clients that are the prospects that become clients. So I think you'll be surprised to hear that how much your clients are actually referring you statistically.
1: You've heard us mention on the show before, even if you feel like you're doing a great job with client service, client engagement, it's something that you should keep raising the bar each and every year. And part of the conversation with Julie, she was talking about that, talking about the good being the enemy of the great, the, you know, the, the, the potential for Being comfortable and saying, hey, what I'm doing for clients is good enough. But what that prevents you from doing is taking your game to the next level. So I really, really appreciated hearing her talk about that. Uh, It was a great interview overall. And then our second interview is going to be with our friend James Schleicher. James is uh, in um, a different channel than we are used to calling on. But he is wildly successful, and we want to highlight and share stories from as many successful financial professionals as possible. So we had a great time talking with James. One of the big takeaways from our perspective – is the idea of creating a life
0: plan before creating a business plan. And the conversation with James is something we'd like to do more profiling successful people in their craft. So as always, if you haven't already, thanks for listening. Please smash that subscribe button. Leave us a review that really helps us get more exposure and build out the community. Um, and as always, if you have questions, critiques, ideas, or just want to lambast side and I feel free to reach out to us at the whole truth at now let's jump into our interview with Julie Littlechild. So Julie, I want you to tell us a little bit about your background and what you do, but I'm going to rattle a few things off that, that I found really interesting about you and, and tell a story about how I found you originally. So Julie is the founder and CEO of of Absolute Engagement. So you can check out the website, absoluteengagement.com, where for over 20 years, she's been doing research, writing blogs, all about tailoring a client experience and really helping become referable, which is the name of your podcast. Is that a fair description?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we focus sort of broadly on client experience and leveraging client experience to drive growth. So it's kind of both sides.
0: How did you know there was a need for this?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about the business that we run, so we do a lot of research and we do a lot of speaking and writing. Our core business is really helping advisors to use direct input from their clients. So whether that's feedback or input to uh, inform the experience and to, to drive growth. So... When I first got into the industry and I was working with um, a guy who did some great consulting work and, and then I decided to go out on my own at one point. I was doing some practice management coaching at the time and I discovered two things. One is that I'm a terrible coach and nobody should ever hire me as a coach. But the other thing is anytime we talked about client experience, The natural conversation was always, well, you know, what do your clients think? Or what do your clients need? And it was met with this resounding... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's informal. <laughs> That's, but it seems like a good question, and and it started almost as well. Let's ask them as part of this engagement, and then literally over twenty plus years, that became the core of what we did because we felt like the client's voice is missing in an in a formal way in the client experience and growth plans.
1: I want to bring up a couple of quotes that you brought up in presentations. Mm-hmm. The first was was a book from the, a quote from the Jim Collins book, Good to Great. And it said, good is the enemy of the great. And the second one I think is from you, which is stop satisfying and start engaging. So I wonder if you can comment on those quotes. And as we talk about client engagement, how much is optimal?
2: Yeah, I love those quotes and they're, they're quite tied together in a way, right? So, you know, I love Jim Collins stuff and I believe absolutely that when things are good, we stop ourselves in some weird sort of way from trying to to aim higher. And the connection to satisfaction and engagement is, is really going back to this idea that when it came to experience, everybody's goal was to have satisfied clients, but it turns out that like 90% of clients are satisfied. We, we're actually doing quite well on that. And I, and that's good news, but the bad news part of that is that that can then stop you from trying to go deeper. Oh, my clients are satisfied. They feel good right. about the relationship. So we're we're fine. But, but we really look at engagement as a qualitatively different relationship, uh, a deeper relationship, a more engaged relationship, one uh, that's marked by higher satisfaction, uh, stronger loyalty, and it turns out referral activity. So that, that's really our goal is if you want to differentiate yourself, like if you really want to stand out, then having satisfied clients just isn't enough. You know, I guess the short answer to how much engagement is optimal is there, there isn't a maximum because it would be like saying how much love is optimal in your life or something like that. You know, it depends on how you define it though. And everybody has a very different definition.
1: To me, it seems like almost everything we do now, we get these surveys from something right. and it's like, I don't want to take a survey on the pack of gum I just bought. I don't care <laughs> that much. But is there any advice you have on on the advisory side where it can be too much or don't even worry about it because we're not even close to that line as an industry?
2: Is there too much? Absolutely. Um, I have, you know, a hundred stories, just as you say about the survey I got about my fridge. And it turns out I don't have (laughs) a deep connection and not enough to want to, to provide feedback. But the way that I tend to look at it is, um, it's less about surveys and the number of surveys. It's, it's more about really stepping back and saying, what is, you know, what are my priorities? What am I trying to achieve? And the answer to that question tells you, Uh, what kinds of input you need from your clients and when. And so that could be, and so that's more voice of a client strategy rather than a survey, if you will. So the answer to that question could be, I just need an advisory board. It could be, I need to measure satisfaction every couple of years. It could be, I need some input on how my clients are feeling as we're walking into a review meeting, right? All of that is voice of the client, but I think the most progressive firms, certainly that we're working with, are saying which of those are right for us based on what we're trying to accomplish. And then make sure it fits into what you're the conversation. Make it more about, you know, we're meeting next week. I'd love to get your input on a couple of things to guide our conversation. That feels more yeah. natural, more human to me, if you will, than the gum survey, for example. <laughs>
0: So I'm going to see if I can connect some dots here. I believe I first saw your name in a podcast interview with James Pollard, Mm -hmm. who we've had on the podcast. And, you know, as internet rabbit holes would go, I found, you know, he had a LinkedIn article blog from a few years ago that I thought was incredible, found the website and signed up for your emails and saw that your current blog posts were, were absolutely fantastic. And the webinar... Uh, I don't want to steal its thunder, but it talked a, a lot about myths in the world of referrals. Mm-hmm. What do you think is, is one of the more misunderstood myths that that financial professionals think when it comes to referrals?
2: There are a few myths, and they all get in the way of us actually tapping into the opportunity that's out there. I think it's huge. I think that we're sitting on this absolute mountain of of untapped referral potential right now. And, you know, maybe the simplest one, which gets to the core, is that we actually need more clients to refer. And the reason I say that that's such a big one is because if we believe that we need more clients to refer, that triggers a whole set of activities, right? How do I ask? What do I say? What do I do? What we've certainly seen in the research is that advisors are getting more referrals than they would ever need. They're just not translating into introductions. And if we just focused on that group, in a really hyper-targeted way, I think that we'd see far more success.
1: Can you clarify that for me? Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. What do you mean by that?
2: So, when we ask uh, investors, so every year, you know, we do our uh, investor research, and 13 years ago or so, we started, in addition to asking about client experience, which is the the focus of of the study, we asked about referral behavior, and we've been doing it every year since. And and we asked, um, have you provided a referral, which was quite interesting because until that point, everybody who was asking clients about referrals was asking them, are you comfortable referring? And it turns out comfort, referring and satisfaction are almost precise proxies for one another. You you don't learn anything. 90% of clients will tell you they're comfortable referring. It changes a little each year, but roughly the last couple of years, 42% of clients said that they'd provided referrals. And on average, it was about two and a half referrals each. That means hundreds of people are hearing the name of an advisor. But then I talk to advisors and they're telling me I might get referrals from four or 5% of my clients. So, you know, in my mind, it's like, well, this to me is the best target because they already have a propensity to refer. In fact, they already think they've referred you. They were probably trying to help someone solve some problem by doing that, thought you were the answer. So if we can identify those people and have a comfortable but targeted conversation, I think that's where we see the results.
1: And what's the missing piece?
2: I think there's a couple of things. One is how we articulate value. Hey, you should talk to my advisor. Great guy. You know, there's, you know, not the most compelling. Um, And and maybe I'll come back to that. But but the other is, is simply the process, right? So the vast majority of clients will say, well... I mentioned my advisor's name to my friend and, and, you know, then the subtext is, and hoped they'd go on Google, find their contact address, contact, you know, the things that nobody's going to do. So, you know, I think training advi- uh, clients a little on how to make that referral. Now, you know, a couple of things come up for me there is to make that comfortable though, like training people, that sounds self-serving. But I think our mindset also has to shift to, to get back to this idea, which is very true, that that clients are referring to help their friends and family. And, and it's not about us and it's not about our business. That's a happy byproduct. But but that should make us more comfortable saying, you know, hey, if, if you did want to make an introduction, here's the best way. But the other thing that we've been thinking a lot about, um, and I don't know when this sort of dawned on me, uh, is that we're just asking a lot of clients who refer. So, you know, we want them to love us enough to refer. We want them to recognize a referral opportunity and then we want them to be able to articulate our value in such a compelling way that people reach out. Think, you know, even when they do love us, that's a lot. And so we've been we've been sort of toying with this idea for a while of creating a hidden page on your website or something, you know, a referral page. It says, you know, rolls out the red carpet. Someone thought you'd be interested in talking. Here's what we do. But the, the point of that is so that the only thing clients have to remember is to send people to that page. Not your whole site. There's too much there. But to a page. And then you don't have to worry about how they're articulating your value. That's a great idea. I think this is all under the umbrella of how do we control the narrative a little, right? How do we... How do we help clients talk about us? Well, it turns out maybe we don't, but we just need to to give them tools to use so that we can talk about the value.
1: No, that's an awesome idea. Mark.
2: Well, it's even, you know, we even think about it in terms of sharing content. So we know, for example, that clients who refer are more likely to share the content that they get from their advisor, about three times more likely. So we send our, our clients a great article, say, and we hope they'll forward it to someone. But again, we're not controlling the narrative there. So what if we said, you know, click here to share with a friend, and when they clicked, it opened up an email that had a little bit about the advisor, right? So it's just a lot of this, in my mind, is just tweaking and getting really intentional about communications that you're probably already sending. It doesn't have to be new activity.
1: Yeah, so so is it maybe the wrong approach or maybe the not as effective that, People say, "Oh, I want to generate more referrals." And so what do they do? They spend time on scripts like, "How do I ask?" And and it, it, to me that's always struck me as a little bit like maybe not the best idea. But how does that strike you? I don't do you feel the same way?
2: Well, I do. And and the only reason for that is I believe the the data that we gather. And when we ask clients to tell us about the circumstances of the referral, the smallest percentage was because my advisor asked me for the name of someone. So Why are we putting all of this effort into asking if that's not really why people, you know, generate referrals in the first place?
1: Is it more important to acknowledge referral intent or a closed referral?
2: Yeah, there's and there's probably three categories in a way. There's clients who referred, but you didn't even meet anyone. There's clients who referred, you met, and they didn't become a client, and then there's the closed referral. I'm a big believer that we should acknowledge and appreciate intent, because that is really the, and then help them do it better, right? Help them to make that connection. And and the reality, if we go right back to that data, 42% providing a referral, all that means, or one of the things that means, is that you haven't had the opportunity to thank those people, and, you know, at the most basic level to just say, look, I want to do something a little special. I want to, I want to thank you for doing that. Uh, it doesn't hurt to remind them that you didn't meet anyone because that might actually close the gap a little. But, yeah, just say thank you.
1: What is the research you do around referrals? I've got some stats here. Only 20% of clients said they referred because the advisor asked them, right? So what did you ask? How many people do you ask? I'm curious about the background
2: there. Yeah, for sure. So every year we go out and do a pretty broad-based investor study. We do it uh, in the US and Canada. And then from time to time, we've done it in the UK, looking at Australia soon. But- um, you know, if we focus on the U.S. data for the time being, uh, it is—it's uh, a study of 750 U.S. so over 1,100 North American investors. Uh, it's higher net worth, so the minimum assets, household assets, is a half million, but it goes up to five million plus from there. Uh, they have to work with a financial advisor. Uh, so we're trying to get at the target for most advisors. That's who we're doing this for, after all. And uh, yeah, we've done this every year. Um, we partner uh, in the last several years with the Investments and Wealth Institute on this. who have been a great partner on the on the research, and we it is big. I mean, we go <laughs> very very deep on every aspect of client experience that you could imagine. And then we have this set of questions on referrals because what we're trying to understand is, you know, have you referred? If yes, how many? If yes, what were the circumstances? What were you trying to accomplish? If no, why was that the case? You know, and and understand not only client motivation to refer, but the circumstances of the referral. Because our our view has just always been if we can understand this through the eyes of the client, then we can come up with strategies and tactics to help advisors really focus on that. Um, I will say though, that the industry as a whole seems so married to this idea that I just have to ask. Um, I mean I did a a demo recently for, for a program on referrals that we have. It was half an hour and At no point did I mention asking. In fact, I would be the first one to say asking's not that effective. And inevitably, I will get an email that says, I'm just uncomfortable asking. (laughs) You should be uncomfortable asking. Um, So it's funny how our mind is just so wired. Even though somebody's saying something else, they just want to go back to that, you know?
1: Yeah. So when when you're working with financial professionals... Yeah what is the work that you do with them? You tell about the business and then you give them some strategies of how and what are those strategies usually focus on? So talk a little bit about your engagement with your clients.
2: Yeah. So our the work that we do is very focused on the voice of the client. So we will design and implement strategies to gather input from clients and then to leverage that input. So it always comes back to what are your clients saying? And leveraging that input depends a little bit on their objectives. So if, if an advisor is working with us and says, I'm, I'm really just focused on referrals, that means we're going to ask a very targeted set of questions and we're going to connect that to a, a very targeted set of follow-up activities. Largely, it's a bit broader than that. You know, I want to involve my client experience. I want to personalize communications. Um, And so for an individual advisor or small team, sometimes that's an annual survey. For larger clients that we work with, as in, say, a larger RIA, that's probably a more robust, ongoing, full voice of the client strategy.
0: Okay. So we had talked about one of the friction points of being, how do you get people to refer you? And so you had the great idea of creating a separate landing page, but you also discuss kind of language triggers, what are some of those triggers that, that you found?
2: When there's a good referral opportunity, people probably aren't talking about whether you know a good financial advisor or not. I don't think anybody needs trained on that. But if someone is talking about their kids making bad financial decisions, if someone's talking about their business or or not knowing what retirement will look like, or I mean, just life. Those are often the best referral opportunities, but I don't know that everybody sees them as that. So what we've been talking to advisors about is crafting stories that reflect the problems that you solve for some of your clients in very specific terms. And I don't mean really high level, like we give you peace of mind. I mean, that's lovely, but nobody talks about that over dinner, right? But if it is helping the kids or communicating as a couple or any of those things, if you can share stories then you're going to help clients spot a referral opportunity. Now, where language comes into that, I think, is that, and this is not easy, I think, for a lot of people, is to use language that your clients are going to use, not your language, right? So you can, there are little tricks to helping you do that. You know, I've talked to so many people who have just said, what happens if I get sick, right, In the, during the pandemic? And so let's use that kind of language and if you can share stories that use the language, then it's like a light bulb that goes off for your clients, right? If they're at dinner and, and they hear what happens if I get sick or some variation, there's I know who you should talk to. In the same way that I might recommend a book or a website or an article, I want to say you've got to talk to my advisor because I, I really think they can help. And But it's the language piece, right? How do they talk about it? And I tell you what, it usually sounds a lot more simple than when advisors talk about it.
0: And there's such a strong emotional oh connection gosh, there yeah. too because you're not, you know, not you're not in dire straits financially. It's like, okay, that's my trigger. Now I need to talk to a financial professional. No, it's like it's human. Someone's sick, someone's making bad decisions, or there's a new marriage, you know, like Absolutely. all of these like, positive emotional life experiences. If you can connect that with the, you know, and reduce that referral friction, I I, I think I think that's wonderful.
2: You can, and you know, I think these days it's easier right because frankly we're all having a lot of this very similar conversations
1: you're telling stories in conversations with clients is there any way you other way you communicate those things or just hey it's part of my process that when i do for example a client review i'm going to have a couple of these stories that i'm going to make sure that i communicate is there any other way to think about it
2: yeah and it's a good question because i think one it's it's crafting a story is one thing, but knowing how to share it comfortably actually requires a little practice, right? It doesn't always come naturally. And so in my mind, the ideal way is to listen for triggers that suggest, Oh, I'm, you know, and then it's like pulling, okay, this story is actually going to work here or be helpful here. Having said that, I mean, depending on, uh, the firm for which you work because there's always going to be different restrictions here. I mean, it could be shared on websites, uh, I think that changes in the testimonial rule are going to make a lot of this uh, easier, frankly, going forward. Um, we can share these stories also with centers of influence, by the way. It's not just necessarily client referrals, but but I tend to think of them as, or or even in emails, right? There's a lot of, like, the the method can change, but the intent, I think, is to just say, this is how... This was the problem. This is how we helped, and uh, and this was the impact. But just like a good story, and my my co-host Steve Worshing does some great stuff around storytelling. Uh, and you know, he talks about it's like a Hollywood script, right? There's there's a hero, there's conflict, there's this, you know, the more that you can make sure a story isn't, hey, let me tell you about how I help my clients. Okay? A story is a client had this problem. We came in as the guide and here's where they got to.
1: Yeah. So the prep work is just as the team to go through and flush that out. And we should have mentioned it up front, but you also have a podcast. Talk a little bit about what you're doing there.
2: Yeah. On Becoming Referrable, which I do with, with Steve, um, we've done this for some time. You know, Becoming Referrable is pretty broad. So it's partly about facilitating referrals, but it's partly just about the hard work that we need to do to make sure we are referable in the in the first place.
0: The most recent one is talks about system side. So I know how, how excited you get talking about systems. I, so need, you know, I need a system. Take a listen. There's, I need a there's process. There's
2: nothing more Framework exciting. Framework,
0: process, system. You use any of those words side <laughs> so just starts to get so giddy.
2: Sexy.
1: I know. <laughs> so before before we leave this topic, are yep. there any other frictions in the referral process that we should be thinking about? So
2: there's one that might be worth talking about since we're talking about process Um and that is just helping clients understand what your process is. So, for example, I'm, there may be a lurking, unspoken point of friction that if I refer to you, somehow you're going to be on a daily follow-up call with my friends and family. Like, I don't know. I trust you, but I don't know. So just taking the time to say to clients, hey, look, we, we truly appreciate referrals. Do you mind if I just talk you through my process? so that you understand. And then you can make it really clear. Look, we, we will do an outreach. If if they're not interested in meeting now, we might invite them to join our mailing list or our blog list. And if they're still not interested, we won't call them again, right? Like just make it clear and get it on the table. So it's it's not one that's spoken a lot about, but I think it can help.
0: So to, to put a bow on this before uh, we throw a couple of, of lightning round questions at you, I, I want to leave with if not an action step, something that, you know, laser focused to think about. So you mentioned that clients on average recommend two and a half times a year. I think most financial professionals would be surprised to hear that number. But the gap between what's being referred and what's being acted upon is, is that referral gap. So what's what's one thing people could do to really start closing that gap?
2: I don't want to sound grossly self-serving, but I do believe that the first step is asking clients if they've referred. And and I say self-serving because obviously that's part of our our business. But if we can identify people who've referred and and you haven't met someone, it then starts to become a very comfortable conversation. It's more, hey, you know, I saw that you referred. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Uh, you know, we didn't actually meet anybody. What I was just wondering if you could tell me a bit about the circumstances and how you thought we could help, right? Like lean into why they referred in the first place, have that conversation. They were trying to help somebody. You're just really trying to help them do that. Um, to me, that's the low hanging fruit here.
1: I'm picking out a couple things I want to close on. The first one you had mentioned the idea, the Michelangelo concept, quick questions, quick answers. What is that?
2: You sculpt the people that are closest to you. So here's the quick theory. You get really excited about something at work. You're going to put the best plan in place. You go home and you're so excited. And you say to your spouse, I can't wait to put this in place. And the first person you tell, if their response is, huh, okay, you know, well, maybe maybe you'll be working late now or something like that, that alone can limit your success. So it's really about being careful about the people with whom we share our biggest ideas.
1: So there's this idea of the honeymoon effect. What is it and how to address it? I actually really like that that commentary.
2: Well, I think, you know, the honeymoon effect is, is, is like dating, right? Where we put on the best show possible while we're dating uh, and then you get married and you realize what it's really all about. And so I think the same happens with With clients, we over communicate, we're doing everything. And then all of a sudden, while money's being transferred and all this is going on, they don't even know what's happening. So I just think we need to think about onboarding as before it starts and then for 90 days after and ensure that we're being very intentional about communication.
0: This has been awesome. You have been wonderful, Julie.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: You can check out Julie's work at absoluteengagement.com. Uh, check out her podcast, Becoming Referrable. This, I've learned so much. I, I can't wait to listen to this when it goes out and actually take notes of my own notes. This, this has been wonderful. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. So Thanks, much. Julie.
1: We are very very happy to be joined by our friend James Slyker. Now did I pronounce that correctly, James? You coached me on this prior. Yeah, to man.
3: On. I'm impressed. Yeah? Pretty I'm impressed, good? man. <laughs> very good. Very good.
0: Side and I talk a lot about like, you know, questions, common questions that we can ask financial professionals just to kind of understand their their path and their their journey and 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 yours is unique and a lot of our audience you know they they might be at a wire might be at a, a regional broker dealer firm your firm is a little different and probably even tougher to make it in yet you've been wildly successful so uh, help us understand how the heck that happens like in in a in a job that's typically you know high burnout anyway uh you know yeah. how have you been so successful
3: I uh, I have to just say that you know I became the biggest you know failure I could be. I became the biggest uh, seeker of rejection I could be. Um, you know I tell people coming into our you know kind of our side of the business is you got to be ready to be treated less than human for the first <laughs> five years. You know things that stick out to me like the term that we use was called get you'd get you would get porched. So what that meant is like, you know, she would drive somewhere to, you know, you schedule the meeting. They said, yes, you know, I want to meet. I want to talk about, um, and especially in the early days, it was, I was just doing life insurance and, you know, just life insurance is, it's super important. Just doesn't get the, you know, it's it's not something that most people want to talk about all the time. And that was kind of proven we would get porch because you'd walk up on the porch, knock on the door. And no one an answer, and this is you know it was something to where when people in the office would come back and be like, oh, "I got porched." It was more you you were more expecting to get porched than you were to someone answer the door. So sometimes like people would answer the door and I'd freak out. I'm like, like wait a minute, I didn't like I'm not ready for this. Like no, I'm, I'm not like, ready you for you were supposed to answer your door. <laughs> you know, like you know, like oh my god, like, what am I supposed to say? I had to get really good at messing up and learning from it and. Um, seeing as many people as I could when they would open the door. One of the times that sticks out to me, though, is just that where I almost quit was I remember the window was open. And when I knocked on the door, I could hear that, like, the wife was like, shh, like, don't answer. It. It's him. You know, it's, it's him, you know. Um, so just kind of those, those are like little moments that I try to make sure I, I help people understand that like that's it's not a matter of if that's going to happen to you just a matter of when and how fast can you get through all those moments to the point where you start to build your own client base and start to get you know introductions on a favorable favorable basis rather i think what came natural to me was wanting to help people truly help people and also wanting to You know, find a way to solve their problems. And to me, like what we do, no matter where, what part of our industry you're in, our job is to solve problems. You know that, and and that's where we get up. And if you're, if you know, being wildly successful, that that means a lot. Thank you for saying that. But you know, I just, I just, I'm doing the same thing today that I did 13 years ago. It's just people actually listen to me now.
0: Can you talk about what's changed over those thirteen years? So you said started kind of on the pure insurance side and transitioning to more—is wealth management the you know the yep. right way to describe like where where your business is now?
3: I'm still licensed to do the insurance, but I couldn't even get you a quote. You know, if you asked me today, um, there's a guy Reed Shockley at our team. He's fantastic. You know, he helps me, my family, everybody. Um, so that's something like over the thir- last thirteen years is I've had to again in the quest of getting rejected and failing, you know, my whole goal is to, how can I do the things that I love to do and somehow delegate and give away the things that I'm not very good at?
1: Yeah. It's interesting. So many really successful financial professionals, we hear the same thing that they, they want to, you know, focus exclusively on what they're uniquely qualified to do. And, and yet you also come across, you know, the financial professionals that are so hesitant to add additional staff and salary. And, and I'm just like, every time I come across that, I'm yeah. like, do it because what is the chance that you're going
3: to regret? Yeah. Well, I will say it's because of my team, I've been able to not be such a control freak and have such trust issue. I mean, you're dealing with, you know, people that spent years and years and years building that relationship. And then now I'm just going to hand them off. Um, you know, it's. It, I would love to tell you I was one of those people that was like, "Oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. I'm gonna do it." It was if people like yourself, you know, people like you guys saying, like, "Hey man, you probably should let go of you know of this piece." Um, but I, it's it's weird. Like the more money I give away, the more money I make. Yeah, you know I mean, and that's, that's you know, a, the a more, love that. and that yeah, you know, that's been something. And that's what's been wonderful too is like the more money Reed started giving away he started making more. So like, I think that's, it's, that's what, when you can build it, I'm like the, I'm a, I am i can not remember the movie that Will Ferrell's in. I think it's it's that basketball movie. I can't remember the name of it. What is that called? Uh, Uh, The
1: seventies movie. I love that movie.
3: We're going to have to find that. I can't remember the name of it. Okay. That might be, you know, pop quiz for later, but, uh, when he's in front of the bus and they're you know, they're fighting in the back and he's like, Everybody love everybody. You know, everybody love everybody. You know, so just kind of for me Semi Pro. That's where I've always wanted a team. Se- yeah. There semi-pro. it is. They- <laughs> thank you for that, Kurt. It would have f- semi pro. So yeah, I think that semi pro kind of sums up the Schleicher uh, <laughs> career right there. It's like, you know, <laughs> thank uh, you, uh, Kurt, because uh, I literally the- I literally yeah, could yeah. not
1: have focused on this interview if you didn't give me that answer. <laughs>
2: talk
3: to
1: me a little bit about client service so you build this business in the beginning you're getting some clients on board at some point you probably have a realization because you have a critical mass oh wow i got to actually serve these people and then as you add more clients so i'm curious how you have thought about client service over time
3: our wholesaler uh through western southern broker services kevin burns like i'm lost without him Uh, but he's like just call your clients every quarter no matter what and check in with them and so that's one – I think the number one thing we pride ourselves on is like the continual – it's kind of like a video game for us. It's like you know, don't don't get frustrated with how much time it's taking, but it's like those quarterly calls create pretty much the majority of our business for the rest of the quarter because you're going to have that person that hasn't called you back in four years be like, oh, hey, yeah, um, I switched jobs and now I want to move this or, hey, I, we had a kid, so now I want to get the insurance going. Um yeah, you know, just keeping that conversation. So, you know, obviously digging in your old gold mine, Yeah. but, uh, you know, take, take what I do and the relationships we have with the, um, our clients very personally. So on that, fr- on that point, um,
1: I, I, I always, you know, I've asked this question to a few people and I'm curious your take, do you deal with the client situations where they don't pick up, you know, you're doing your quarterly calls and you're like, that
3: client's not responsive anymore. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? How do you think about that? We started like, playing with the language we were using and magically we started getting better responses. It's not necessarily like, you know, it's not the phone call that they're ignoring. It's just that like, they know what you're going to say. So if you throw in things that gets them to respond, like one things that, that we do is like, I'm very big on, hey, I'm sorry to annoy, I'm the most annoying person. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm always doing these check-ins, just want to make sure everything's okay. And magically, people that would not respond would respond. They like, hey, they call back. Like, James, you're not annoying. I love that you give me a call. I know that you're always there for us. You know, and you uh, know, I, I just don't have any. There's no updates right now. I was thinking about you. I do want you to talk to my sister. And, and that. so, like, just. I don't know if anybody listening. If, if you say, "Hey, it's the most annoying person you know." Sorry to bother you. <laughs> The likelihood of them calling you back, I'm telling you, it's it's for us, it's been magic. What
1: was your most successful marketing strategy?
3: It really wasn't really meant to be a marketing strategy, but it was it was heavy involvement in the community. And we were getting involved in things we genuinely were passionate about and wanted to change in the community. So it wasn't work for us, and I think that really that really came through because we weren't the only. F- You go to any community event like there's 27 financial and insurance people and there's like one person that is not in our industry and they're just like oh no not not another one of these meetings like please no not another event where everybody's trying to sell me something i remember people coming up to us really i don't even really know what you do i think it's finance if that's the case i want to give you all my money so again it wasn't planned it wasn't that wasn't like my strategy um so to speak but it was just something that just get involved make th- that feel good in your heart where it's like, okay, I am making a difference maybe uh, now. So it's just kind of now it's just completely word of mouth referral based. Um, so one of my mentors, he's always said, buying leads is punishment for not getting referrals.
0: Ooh, so I like that. Good one. Always been, I like that a I've lot. Always been yeah.
3: un- I, so, <laughs> so basically everything is punishment for not getting referrals.
0: I want to take a minute to, to reference your, your book. It's called It All Starts With a Plan. Uh, and you, so you talk a fair bit about business planning, but you also talk. You, as I understand it, the precursor to business planning is life planning, and so I'm curious because you started in this business yes. at a fairly young age. Like, and if if life planning is the mm-hmm. precursor to business planning, you know where. How, how do you know, like, when when you're in your 20s, and how, I mean, I'm almost 40, and you know I don't have a life plan? I, where do you where do you draw yeah. inspiration <laughs> a, a, on building that life plan, which then feeds into your business plan?
3: In the Cleveland area where I'm from, there's a Cleveland 2030 Club, which is like a young professionals club, and um, you know you'd have these big time CEOs come in and, and have dinner with us and share their story. And one of them, right as we're wrapping up, I remember him saying you need a 30 year career plan but more importantly you need a 50 year life plan so for me it put a sense of urgency to do the things i i pro- i vowed to do like keeping it it forced me to start keeping promises to myself so i don't know if that makes sense but like i feel like we make a lot of vows and promises and we have all these goals and we have all these dreams but there's no sense of urgency because you know every human alive, we have this thing where for some reason we don't think like everybody else dies around us, but not us, you know, like we're different, you know? So um, for me, like the life plan just really put a sense of urgency on what the things I really want to get done. But more importantly, you know, the little teeny tiny decisions that create your entire, you know, the, the, the result of your life and where you're at now, think of like the three of us are here because somewhere along the line, we had to make these series of decisions to end up where we're at. So a lot of those little decisions are so difficult when you don't know where you're, where you're going with life, or what your North Star is, what your what is your guiding compass, so to speak.
0: I'm always curious, uh, uh, especially when I have someone on a podcast, because um, podcasts are like truth serum, you can't lie. Uh, you know, Side and I are wholesalers, but we talk and focus a lot about practice management. And I don't particularly love the moniker practice management, but I'm curious like what that means to you and and specifically do you find that the asset management community is is a resource to you in helping you manage your practice better?
3: Yes. Oh, totally. So like so for me like practice management I think it is more of like life optimization, especially now having a team, I'm dead without it. Like I'm lost without it. People are always going to like, there's always going to be problems because people are involved. Humans are always going to find a way to screw up. And so to me, like flawless execution, practice management, life optimization, whatever you want to call it, it's perfecting the process as best you can to support and provide your people you know, tools and resources and like kind of the how to of when things go wrong, because they always will. um, How do we still operate and succeed and achieve the mission?
1: Talk about your three C's. We saw that in your book, and we think that'd be a good thing for you to comment on.
3: The first is clients. Uh, Second is community. And the third is continuing education. So maybe I tried a little hard with the, the last C, you know, <laughs> the continuing education. Uh, but, uh, you know, to me, like clients, it's very easy to forget that we work for them. And especially, you know, when you get to a certain level, your ego kind of creeps in and you're, you you kind of get – it's easy to lose sight of who's the most important person in this equation and, and it's just always keeping the fact that the person across the conversation from you is the most important person in your world and that you should be treating them with the utmost respect and doing everything you can to make sure that they are taken care of. And that, you know, if you help them achieve their dreams, every dream you ever want to achieve is going to be achieved hand in hand. You know, that that's what I love about what we do is the better our clients do, the better we do, you know, so as you're, you're on that journey with them, and then it's very easy to let your guard down when you get home. I mean, you guys are fellow fellow fathers uh, like myself. And, you know, it's real easy to let the stress of work and the professional world come over to the personal side, letting that, uh, that work stress come out. So treat your, treat your personal world like clients, too. Give them the royal treatment as well. You know, roll out the red carpet uh, for, your, for your, your personal people, too. Another thing, as I talked about, you know, the community is a great way to feed your business, but you got to be genuine. You know, it's got to be that one or two things that if you won the lottery, you would spend every bit of your free time out doing and out, you know, making a difference in that area. And then the last thing is continuing education. It keeps you alive. It keeps you always feeling excited to go face the next day because like, okay, well, even if I read two pages of this book today, now I can try and figure out how I'm going to implement
0: that into my professional life and my personal life. So before we let you go, I want to nerd out on a little Star Wars. Um, you mentioned a quote in your book. Uh, it's a good one. It's not my favorite. My personal favorite is um, only, a, only a Sith believes in absolutes because I I dwell in the gray area that is life but you had a quote and after hearing your story i think it's it's perfect for you and it's a yoda quote uh, that said we do or we do not there is no try and so i just want to say congratulations on not trying you've actually done it it's been it's been a great chatting with you you today um stay tuned for the costanza corner we'll be right back this is the whole truth. Stick with us. And welcome back to our closing segment that we call Costanza Corner because we like to leave the show on a high note and side. I have no idea what you're bringing to the table today, but I can't wait to hear it. Well, besides the fact that I am turning
1: the big four oh on August fifth, which should be Costanza corner. Are you enough, really? You made I it. Am, Congratulations. I did. It's it, thank you very much. I uh this episode's coming out the end of August, so it's not like too delayed to 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 congrat to give myself a happy birthday. But what I did bring though is um uh, a story about police in Colorado and an auto part store which i really really made me swa- smile. So a new partnership with police in Colorado is putting smiles on the faces of motorists who might not have the money to fix a broken part on their vehicle. So you know it you've got a broken taillight, you know, especially if you don't have the money to replace it, you're getting pulled over, you might be getting tickets, it's this multiple issue. multiple
0: citations, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so uh big shout out to Advance Auto Parts because there's a store that basically gifted the Denver Police Department a hundred gift cards worth twenty-five bucks a piece that they can hand out at their discretion for people to get their headlight fixed if it's not. And I just thought that was a super cool story.
0: That is fantastic. Well yeah, I mean police have been in the news a lot, you know, good, bad, ugly or different, but I love stories where we're figuring out, like, we're solving problems on the local level, right? It's just, like, business people, like, you know, state organizations and the civilians that they serve, like, that's a great solution. I love it. Yeah. I,
1: I just always think about like, where does that idea come from? But there's probably some really uh, awesome people
0: over at Advance Auto Parts in Denver. I guess that's really what it comes down to. So, And how helpful is it to remember that a $25 gift card to get your light fixed like, really helps pe- some people out?
1: Absolutely. Uh, it's
0: just important context for life, especially in, in our world.
1: Absolutely. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.
0: You can find the whole truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of the whole truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com/slash/the-whole-truth. That's touchstoneinvestments.com/slash/the-whole-truth. All one word.
2: Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.